Welcome to Thoughtful Planning, the place where real conversation, expert insight, and a touch of humor meet to turn our end-of-life uncertainties into self-assurance. I'm your co-host, Santiago, a history buff and a big kid at heart. And I'm Honey, your guide through the intricate dance of planning with care and a whole lot of warmth. Every week, we're here to turn those intimidating are-we-ready moments into confident, everything-is-under-control moments. Today's journey is one you won't want to miss. Hi, welcome to Thoughtful Planning. I'm Honey. And I'm Santiago. Going back to my military days, we were always briefed on the pros and cons of power of attorneys and medical directives. Don't give a power of attorney to somebody you don't trust. Make sure that you trust them with all your heart. And for me, I always elected to get a durable power of attorney because I knew that you would always do what's best for us, for our kids. And in my heart, I knew that you'd always do the right thing. So the essential question we have today is, do I need a power of attorney and or medical directives? Another great question, babe. And today is our final installment of our legal mini series with the guru of estate planning, (laughs) Sean McCammon from McCammon Law. If you've been with us since episode six, you know the drill. We're breaking down complex legal topics. Today, we're tackling medical directives and power of attorneys. Think of these as the emergency kit of your legal life. You hope you won't need them, but they sure are important. If you've missed the earlier episodes, they're just a click away filled with Sean's insights. Remember, while we're here to inform, this isn't personal legal advice. For specific guidance, consulting with professionals is always best. Let's get started. So it's great to have you on again, Sean. Today, we're going to explore medical directives and power of attorneys. We're wondering if a power of attorney or medical directive can help with some of the stories that we're going to be sharing in a little bit. So, but first, before we get to that, can you briefly describe what a power of attorney is and what are the different types of power of attorneys there are? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me again. I know we first talked about some wills and then trust and estate planning. And so, one of the vital kind of components that goes along with those kind of foundational documents is this power of attorney concept that you're talking about. And so usually we're talking about a financial power of attorney. We're talking about a medical power of attorney, maybe a living will or physician's directive. And I'll kind of break these down, you know, a medical record release. Earlier when we talked about wills and trusts, you know, we're kind of talking about, hey, what happens to my stuff when I'm gone? But what happens between now and there's a lot of time between now and when I'm gone, right? And there may be just a period of time where I'm laid up for a while or I'm incapacitated, can't make a decision due to injury or sickness or, or whatever. And so these documents that we're talking about today, those powers of attorney play a key role in making sure that your affairs can still be managed. Somebody can still make a medical decision for you instead of the court having to get involved and decide who that's going to be. And so that's why when we do, you know, whether it's will or trust-based estate planning for clients, you know, we, as part of our, our fee that we do, you know, we include a financial power of attorney so that somebody's named as your agent to handle financial issues or talk to third parties and deal with somebody on your behalf in the event that you're not able to, or the medical power of attorney so that somebody has the authority to make a medical decision for you in the event that you can't make your own medical decision, a medical record release. So that person has access to your medical records. And then a physician's directive. This is kind of one I I feel like there's a lot of 
not misunderstanding about, but there's just so many different names out there. You know, people will call it an advanced directive or a living will or a physician's directive. Really, this is a document where you state what your preference is related to end-of-life care. Do I want to be hooked up to a machine? Do I not want to be hooked up to a machine? If everything's been tried, I want the doctor to pull the plug. Those are kind of all within that category. So, a lot of times, you know, I'll have people come in and they say, I want a living will, but they're talking about a trust. Or, you know, they'll say they want a directive, but what they really are talking about is they want somebody to be able to make a decision for them under a medical power of attorney. So, you know, you kind of have to understand, you know, each area of the country kind of refers to these things as different things. But basically, when you're talking about a financial power of attorney, you're nominating who you want to make financial decisions with a medical power of attorney, medical proxy or advanced healthcare directive or something like that. You're saying who can make medical decisions. And then with the physician's directive, you know, you're kind of making an end of life care decision or a living will. Sometimes it's called a living will. Okay. So then now that you said that, we initially said power of attorney or medical directive. And a medical directive mm-hmm. is really the equivalent to the... Kind of a physician's directive or legal uh, living will where you're kind of directing a specific end of life care scenario. If you're in a permanent vegetative state and it's just a machine keeping you alive, this is what I want to have happen in that particular case. Okay. I think that's kind of conceptually what a lot of people are thinking about when they're talking about an advanced directive or a, a physician's directive or a living will. But you still want to make sure you have a medical power of attorney, generally oh. speaking, so that somebody can make medical decisions for you. So it's a so different document. Different and even, yeah, two different things. And then kind of to your point, Santiago, like you were saying, you know, like on the power of attorney side, sometimes people feel like, well, if I sign this power of attorney, am I giving this person carte blanche authority to do whatever? And while sometimes we'll set up a power of attorney for finances to where it's effective immediately, most of the time, it's what we call like a springing power of attorney that basically says, this power of attorney isn't even effective until a doctor says I'm incapacitated. So it's not like you've given away any authority now. It's just springs into being when and if it's ever needed. Yeah, we were were talking about medical directives and then the life-sustaining treatment documents to give to the hospital and stuff like that, which is quite scary. Yeah. And then some people also want to do like a DNR, like I've got elderly clients who are sick or whatever, you know, they actually want to have a DNR in place, do not resuscitate. So they've got something that says, if you find me, I don't even want you to try and bring me back kind of thing. And so, and that's typically a form that would be signed between the patient and the doctor. It's a form you'll get through your physician a lot of times. I still say, you know, a little caveat on that is that if these first responders find you, they're, you know, the fact of the matter is they're, they're worried about liability too, right? So a lot of times they're going to try and resuscitate you because they don't want to be sued for having lost your life kind of thing. And so I feel like I've got a mixed bag from clients over the years as to whether a DNR was honored or not honored, you know, that kind of thing. Can I ask you a question about that? I saw Mm. something online about a bracelet that people wear that says DNR. And I started thinking, well, what if, I mean, there's a bunch of what ifs in that, right? Like, what if my husband slipped that on me and I didn't want it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But are those even legal? Because, I mean, I, I've seen them. Do you know what I'm talking about? A DNR bracelet? Yeah, there's bracelets or there's things that you post on your refrigerator. Each state kind of has some different forms related to that kind of thing. And so you can definitely use those. I think they're tools to try and help help ensure that your decision gets carried out the way that you want. I just think in today's kind of litigious society, sometimes the reality is, is that a first responder might not notice that or, or might be more concerned about, you know, just making sure you don't exactly. die in their 
care and get sued for that. And mm-hmm. so it's a bit of a balancing act. And so I just mentioned yeah. that. And talking about the way times are changing, you know, AI is becoming so prevalent with the pictures and voice copying stuff. So this is a situation from actually a close friend of ours. She's facing a challenge with her mother who appears to be financially vulnerable due to an online relationship with Elon Musk. So she believes she's engaged to the, to Mr. Musk and she's making some very questionable financial decisions. She's missed mortgage payments. She's been selling her possessions so that she could be ready for the move so, so she can get married. And, you know, apparently she's being influenced by a digital AI and she's really concerned about her mother's financial security and well-being. So she's seeking advice on how she can legally intervene to protect her mother's assets, prevent potential financial exploitation, and then what legal venues can she actually take to make sure that her her mother's taken care of in the long run? Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of a big question. There's kind of this continuum. No, 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 that's okay. That's okay. So there's kind of this continuum from everybody's doing fine, making their own decisions, no problems, to on this end, we're going to actually get the court involved and I'm going to be nominated as this person's guardian or conservator and take away their rights. Okay. And so there's a lot that's kind of in between there. If you can just talk to the person and convince the person that this is a problem, then maybe you find some resolution. If that doesn't work though, maybe there's some other things you need to do along that road where maybe, you know, maybe you get them to set up a trust and you're a co-trustee with them. So like a child might be a co-trustee with a parent who's having trouble so that you know a house can't be sold without both people signing off on it or another spouse, future spouse, or somebody couldn't come in and take title to the property without both trustees signing off on that kind of thing or being involved in some of the banking. So you can do some basic kind of estate planning or setting up powers of attorney where the child is the agent and that's on file with the bank or something like that to help put in some of those protections. But ultimately, you kind of get to a point where you know, if somebody's not responsive or doesn't want to have anybody else involved or doesn't want to let the child take over or doesn't want them in their affairs, and at some point in time, the dementia or mental status is such that they can really no longer take care of themselves or keep themselves from being exploited by others and financial abuse and elder abuse, things like that from third parties, then the ultimate kind of get involved scenarios where the child might actually have to petition the court to be appointed as their parent's conservator or guardian. It depends on which state you're in, what it's called. But you're basically the legal representative for your parent at that point in time, and nothing can be sold or moved without your control and authority. It's a kind of a costly road to go down. You have to pay an attorney typically to represent you in filing the petition and being appointed. You've got to report annually an account to the court to show the court that you're managing and handling everything properly for the beneficiary or, you know, for the conservatee or as the case may be. But so there's, like I say, there's kind of that spectrum of tools that might be used, but it's going to kind of be dependent on where the parent in that scenario is at and whether they'll let the child get involved. A lot of times people I have come in, the, the parent realizes I'm slipping, I need help. And we'll get the kid into a position where they can help and they can help prevent some kind of abuse like that financial abuse or something. But sometimes they'll come in and there's just no recognition that they need the help. Mm-hmm. And so you might be left with having to get 
the court involved in something like that. Yeah, and that's what that's what we're thinking. But that's a great point about the legal planning. You know, not only protect you, but protect Elon. Make sure his stuff is squared away. <laughs> Just saying. Oh. Well, here's another situation from another listener, and it's very similar, somewhat similar. So a friend and her brothers, they're increasingly concerned about their father, who seems to be exhibiting memory issues. Despite their concerns and encouragement, their father has declined to visit a doctor, attributing his memory lapses to stress and the demands of caring for his wife, their mother. One of the brothers who has a nursing background and the others are particularly worried about their father's well-being. In a situation like this where a family member may be in denial about potential health issues, what steps can they take to encourage him to seek medical evaluation? And then additionally, what are the best approaches for handling such delicate family dynamics while ensuring the father receives the necessary care and support? Yeah, I mean, maybe the parent in this situation has a trusted attorney or advisor that they could talk to. Maybe the family could go to that person that they trust, bring them into the conversation so that the parent doesn't feel like the children are attacking them or saying that you can't make decisions and they're just worried about being taken advantage of by their children or something like that. So maybe there could be a third party, kind of a mediator that gets brought in in that kind of situation. I've done that for some parent child issues, you know, where the parent trusts me, the child trusts me. And so we can kind of say, you know, this is the realities of the situation, you know, and let's get a doctor's note. And if the doctor's note says you're good to go, great. Then let's put that in our file and we know whatever decision you make, you're covered. Nobody's going to second guess it. But if the doctor says, you know, yes, there's this mental issue that keeps you from having capacity, we should know that now so that we can protect you from people that would be wanting to take advantage of you or things like that. So sometimes we'll have those conversations. Certainly, you know, getting some basic planning in place, like we're talking about powers of attorney, medical directives, and things like that, so that as that slip might continue or get worse, you've got something in place that says you can talk to third parties, get information from third parties, whether that's medical record releases or a financial power of attorney, you can reach out to the institution and find out what's going on and at least keep tabs on things. And then ultimately, kind of like in our last scenario, at some point in time, if the parent is just totally unwilling to, talk or cooperate, but you know that there's severe risk, you're going to have to convince the court of that too. The court's not just going to step in and say, okay, you're now the conservator of the parent and we're going to sever this legal relationship where the parent manages their own affairs. The court's going to require proof of that fact as well. And that's why I say it can be kind of a costly ordeal to go down that road. So, I know there was a little bit of kind of what we had covered in the question before too Mm -hmm. in that, but I hope that kind of addresses some of the ideas, you know, or maybe there's a senior resource center that would have resources or people to put them in touch with. Like I said, maybe like a third party kind of mediator, whether that's an attorney or an accountant or a friend or a financial advisor or or another family member that the parent might trust to kind of get involved and and bring some perspective to the parent in that situation. Yeah, that's, and then, you know, just the dynamics, like you said, of the family. Once you start saying something like, you're not worthy to make your own decisions about your well, own life. Well, and I'm pretty sure they said they were yeah. worried about yeah, know, their dad. But, not, but it's how you perceive them coming mm, after you. The they're just concerned. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, it really depends on individual family dynamics. I mean, I know that a lot of parents their their kids will voice that, and they 
they take it to heart. But, you know, I don't know every family situation mm-hmm. right. And yeah. and so sometimes the parent looks at that as a exactly. threat, right. you know, and they see that as a threat, threat to their autonomy and a threat to their assets, a threat to the, what they've worked hard mm-hmm. for. And the defenses go up. And so, you know, it, it depends. But I can't unwind 50 years of family yeah, dynamics. Exactly. You know, it's sort of like we got to try and meet them where they're at, offer for what kind of support we can. Ultimately, maybe the court has to get involved, but hopefully having some of this stuff all in place ahead of time can help alleviate a lot of mm-hmm. this. You mean like have a plan? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so some thoughtful yeah, planning. Okay, well, you know, don't thank, thank you. you. Thank you for the plug. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> if it weren't for you, we would not be here actually. Because uh, this got us to thinking about doing this. Sean, if you could share something with our audience that you think everyone should know about a power of attorney or medical directive, what would it be? Mistakes or misconceptions or just some good, friendly advice from the Google? Yeah, I think kind of to your point earlier, Santiago, when you were talking about, you know, I don't want to sign a power of attorney because I don't want to give any autonomy or authority away. And to understand that these can be set up so that they're only effective when you're incapacitated, so that you're not giving away any authority now but they're there when you need them kind of thing. And so I think that's really kind of the, the main takeaway on these powers of attorney, but making sure that you have both a financial power of attorney and a medical power of attorney so that someone can maybe handle a financial issue or talk to other third parties, but also make a medical decision. And I think one thing to kind of remember too, is that especially on the medical contact side, maybe you've got three or four kids or something like that to choose from as to who's going to be your agent. Maybe it might be best if it's somebody that's close by, you know, that would be responding to an emergency, thinking of geography a little bit when you're setting up who the agents might be. Maybe you have a child that's in the nursing field or something might be well-suited for the medical side, but you might have a CPA or financial advisor son that might be good on the financial side and thinking about what that might look like. So those are the kind of things I, I think I would tell people to kind of think about. But I think that kind of the basic documents are that financial power of attorney, medical power of attorney making sure that it includes a medical record release. And then you've thought about whether you want any kind of physician's directive or living will to be a part of that as well. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you, Sean, for guiding us through medical directives and power of attorneys. Your expertise has been incredibly helpful and it's been a pleasure having you on our series. And we would love to have you back in the future if you'll have us. I'll keep an eye out. I'll keep an eye out for the email. (laughs) (laughs) Will you share with our audience the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, I think just going to our website is probably the easiest thing. It's texas-estateplanning.com. That's texas-estateplanning.com. It's got our number, office address, plus there's some resources and articles, blogs and newsletters you can sign up for to kind of keep you updated on legal changes or things that are happening and things to be thinking about as you're doing your planning. Awesome. Thanks for having having me. Well, it's been great. And I just want to circle back on one thing real quick before we get to the central question. I'm a teacher, so I always tell my kids when they're looking for a college, it has to feel like home. You know, you go out and you look for something that you know is right for you. And I think that when you're selecting an attorney, it's the same thing. You know, you have to feel comfortable. And when Honey came back from that little lunch and learn, which she forgot my food from, she came back and said, you got to meet this guy. I want to work with him. And when I met you, you know, it was the same way, you know, hey, this is where we want to do our business. And it's got to be wherever you are, find that person, find your who and work with that person. 
and get this done. Have conversations, do everything you need to, to make sure that your will is done. Anyway, that sounded like, like an old spread. Anyway. Wait, uh, wait. It sounds like I better get Santiago a burger and so he can let, let go know, of this bitterness. Right? Seriously. <laughs> well, also, though, the other thing that kind of drew me to you, Sean, was your name, Sean? And the way you spell yeah. it, just because that's my brother's name. Brother, brother. <laughs> oh, there but, you go. Anyhow, sorry. No, no I mean, it, it was Good. just, no, I mean, we really felt at home and comfortable working with you. And I'm not just saying that because you're on our podcast. It's it's the truth. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And that's like I said before, you know, and what I don't remember if it was this one or one of the other ones, but, you know, I try and make it as friendly yet professional as possible because a lot of people bring a lot of preconceived notions or issues into doing this kind of planning. It's hard enough to get it off the back burner mm-hmm. and onto the front burner. And so I want to be as encouraging to keep that ball rolling forward as I can. And so that's kind of the approach I take with it. Our office is pretty mm-hmm. friendly and casual. And you can always reach out and talk to us anytime. You know, we try to be accessible and all that. So, yeah, appreciate you guys having me on and, and glad we made the connection. And and I'm sure I'll uh, I'll have, I've got a little special email folder for Honey. So, <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to take automatic transfer to the. So, <laughs> so uh, our center question is <laughs> just kidding. Do I need a power of attorney or medical directive? So, you have to answer that for yourself, but hopefully, we may have changed your mind or, or sent you down a different path than when we first started. All right. Until next time, remember every chapter you write today shapes your legacy tomorrow. Thank you for joining us at Thoughtful Planning. And just like the vibrant hues of a setting sun, we're wrapping up another episode of Thoughtful Planning. Every shared story and insight is a step closer to turning uncertainty into celebrations of preparedness. Absolutely. And to our listeners, remember that every surprise that comes our way is an opportunity to grow, adapt, and learn. Stay tuned for more stories, expert insight, and of course, a touch of wit in our next episode. We're not just co-hosts, we're fellow travelers on this journey. For more information on additional resources, which will help you take the next step in planning, look for the link in the show notes for our membership. Join us next time for another episode of Thoughtful Planning. Until then, keep living, laughing, and loving every moment.